Welcome back to another exciting edition of The Thought Police with me, Mike Graham, and uh, Matt Kelly from The New European. Matt, very good uh, afternoon to you. Hello, Matt. You okay? Yeah, I'm very well indeed. Now, um, you, being a great veteran of tabloid newspapers, will love the fact that it's hotter than the Bahamas right now uh, in, yeah. in London. And uh, <laughs> um, I hope you're, suffer- you're not suffering too much. Well it's, well, it's very pleasant. I always go down with hay fever, unfortunately, so I could spend the next half an hour whining about that, but I won't. But no, it's, glo- it's glorious out there, isn't it? It really is. And, I mean, I was out yesterday afternoon celebrating after Boris Johnson's kind of lifting of the lockdown, which is how I've basically yeah. been saying uh, what's happened. Um, yeah. And I was standing outside a pub around the back of the Shard, and if you had been there, you would have said to me, this looks like a pub that's actually open, because no longer were people sort of walking away uh, with their yeah. takeaway drinks. They were just standing outside the pub in groups of people, like you would yeah. do in a nice hot day in London. I mean, it is. I mean, it's effectively over now, isn't it? I, I think mean, so. That's the message people are going to take. I think so, and I mean, I mean, that's. Def- I mean, definitely, as as you and I have been discussing over the last few weeks, you know, London has been quite busy anyway, and has yeah. been getting busier. Um, and there's still, I think, the thing, the fact that the tourists are still not around means that you know it's yeah. not going to get back to normal for a while in terms of you know the centre of town. A friend of mine was in Covent Garden the other day and said it was dead because obviously yeah. the theatres are all shut and there's about probably 10,000 people that work in the theatre business who are not there and there's no yeah. tourists. So, But, I mean, in, in terms of pe- places, you know, like sort of um, residential areas, I'd say yeah. um, with, the, with the weather being the way it is, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, carry on as normal. Well, I mean, Clissold Park near, near us in Stoke Newington, I've never seen it busier really? last, last weekend. And I mean, I tell you what was nice was that there was a lot of families there, family groups. Yeah. Rather than just you know loads of individuals or you know mates hanging out or whatever, but it seemed like every family in Stoke Newington had come out and had a picnic all day long, yeah. which was lovely. You know, my I mean I think it's slightly different out in the in the real world out in the country. Yeah. Uh, I had to go to Norfolk the other day for mm. work, right. and because I'd sort of become acclimatised to the to the London blasé nature of of, of the social distancing. I, I, it took me a little while to realise that they're taking it much more seriously out in Norfolk yes. than they are in London, and people still sort of swerve around you at a distance. But, um, I, d- I mean, obviously, the biggest question is, have we gone too soon? Is it going to spike right back up? Right. You know, I mean, they're playing a dangerous game, I think, but, you know, all you can do is, is play it by ear, I think. At I this think stage, I mean, the it? thing that I find interesting is the psychology of it all, because I feel yeah. slightly differently than I did at the beginning, and I think most people that I talk to do, um, and most people that I talk to now say we're, we're not actually bothered by it. You know, it's like yeah. we don't care anymore yeah. uh, because obviously look at all the things that have happened. We've had all these marches. Nobody seems to have caused the second peak because the first march yeah. was probably, what, three weeks ago now? Um, yeah. And there seems to be a general feeling that if there is another outbreak, it will be isolated and we'll be able to, to deal with it. But, you know, yeah. who knows? Well, once, I think that's true largely of, you know, of the population at large. Uh, I went to see my mum and dad for the first time in months up in, in Warwick. I saw, and, and then you forgot to take a picture. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, the, you know, speaking to my dad, and he, I mean, he's genuinely, I mean, he's in his mid to late 80s, right. he's not got the best, in the world, having smoked for a long time, right. doesn't smoke anymore, but used to heavily. Yeah. And you know, he is—he is genuinely, you know, not, I don't know, scared too much, but not far off it, about catching this thing because he believes, with good reason, that it would off him. You know, and right. so it doesn't matter what Boris Johnson says or what the R number is or whatever. You know, if he gets it, he thinks, you know, obviously that's very, yes. very bad for him. So. 
really, until there's a vaccine available, I think there are a lot of people who, you know, will be looking on enviously mm. as the rest of the world moves on, but yeah. are quite scared themselves, thinking, well, uh, you know, I don't care what the R number is. Yeah. If I still get it from someone, I'm going to die. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, our youngest son has got very bad sort of allergies and he's got a bit of asthma and, and his mother's worried that uh, that he might be at risk. But nobody's really sure and that's the terrible thing. Yeah. I mean, at least with your dad, you sort of know that he's at risk and you know yes. that he knows that and so he knows probably not to go out uh, yeah. anywhere, particularly where there's lots of other people. But I think um, it's difficult. It's so difficult, really, to know. And I think partly the way that Boris has done all this, um, and I know that you'll say it was more by accident than design, um, is that, you know, if you can be careful and if you can be uh, sort of, you know, sensible for your mm. own purposes, then that's really the way to go. I think that's true. And also, you know, the, the idea that one metre is any less safe than two metres <laughs> is total bollocks. Well, you it know, is. If someone sneezes at you, it doesn't matter if you're four metres away. No, gonna, exactly. You've got a chance of getting it. Except, someone... Yeah, but except that people say that it hangs in the air like a sort of, uh, um, like a vapour. So it doesn't necessarily that... have to be a sneeze. It can just be somebody yeah. breathing, you know? Well, that, I, I don't believe that. And I, well, I think you know, I'm bringing my great scientific experience and knowledge to this argument now. But I, I mean, there's a difference between it being airborne, i.e., it just floats around in yeah. the air, right. and, and, and you can just inhale it, and catching it from somebody else's, you know, excretions of whatever kind. Yes. And I don't think if it was airborne, then I think we'd all be in a huge amount of trouble, you know, then, you know, we'd all get it very right. quickly. Well, do you remember that uh, that movie with old uh, Kate Winslet, uh, which is was it called? Is it Pandemic? I can't remember the name of it. Um, was it? Does she keep her clothes in? And on that strangely, one? she does. Yeah, because she dies. She, I think it's because she dies quite early on in the film, so she doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't have enough time to get naked. You know, she only ever does it for her for her art, of course. Yeah. Um, but um, that that movie um, is it? Contagion, maybe is that the name of it? Um, contagion, yeah, yeah, contagion. I mean, in that they show people on the train and on the on the subways yeah. and stuff, and on the trams. I think in San Francisco, just breathing and this breath kind of moving towards yeah. somebody else, and you inhale it, and that's and that's all that needs to happen. So, and, and they did that study on the underground, whereby if you um, uh, if you actually go uh, and get on the underground, and somebody has the coronavirus, and they're talking to the person next to them, yeah. the whole carriage could become infected. Which is well, why, I mean, which is why they want you to wear a mask. I mean, have you been wearing a mask? I've I've worn a mask a couple of times in um, when I've gone shopping oh, right. for some reason, and I don't know why. Mm. I, 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 well, actually, harking back to my uh, hay fever moan, it was it was to keep the bloody pollen out of my well, nose. Well, you know what? It's interesting you say that because my son said the same thing. Because I went to yeah. uh, see a mate of mine, and his wife has been making different sorts of masks, which are very yeah. kind of you know just fashionable, I suppose. And I didn't really want one, um, so yeah. I gave one to him, and he loved it. He said, "This is great. It means I can actually go outside, yeah. and I don't breathe in any of the pollen." Yeah, and and that if that's now going to be you know a, a norm. Abnormal look, then happy days. You can wear them all every summer, you know. Because hay fever is a bloody bastard if you get it. Oh, yeah. Really, I know. Really I used to get it really totally badly as a kid. But do you yeah. remember when we used to walk around London and sort of laugh at people from Japan who would yes. be wearing because they would wear the masks? And Michael That's Jackson, right. I mean, Michael Jackson was yes. clearly a luminary ahead of his time. They were all right, <laughs> you know, we're the 
stupid mugs. We should have known better than the life of the Japanese. You know, they've always been about 20 years ahead of us. <laughs> and here's the other question I've got for you, because I looked at your Facebook post where you said, like, I forgot to put a, take a picture of the yeah. parents, so here's an old one. Yeah. And then you said, that you, you're not even, he's, when you said, you know, you're not even the best journalist in the, in the family because of your dad, but you've also yeah. got a brother who's also a journalist. I have, mate. Well, he's actually a, a radio, uh, he's in your line of work. Is he? He does the, yeah, he does, um, he does the. I think he does the morning show or the dry, or the lunchtime show for BBC West Midlands. Danny Kelly. Oh, Danny Kelly. Okay, I think I've heard of him. Not that Danny. Not Kelly. that There's Danny. Two Kelly, Danny no. Kellys there on are BBC two, books. There are two yeah. Danny Kelly. Sounds like a football chant, doesn't it? Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, the Danny Kelly that I know is the other Danny Kelly. But I've yeah. heard, I'm well, pretty sure I've heard of your Danny Kelly as well. Right. Well, he Danny. Uh, my brother's. I, th- I think quite an inspiring uh, story because he. He was one of those people who never knew what he wanted to do. Right. And he spent a lot of time floating from industry to industry. And he spent a lot of time working as a chef in, right. in, in kind of very high-end uh, hotels and restaurants, mm. which is an absolutely sw- it's a crazy. swine of a yeah, job. It's a crazy job, isn't it? just yeah. awful. So and every, and also everybody's that. mad. Everyone that I've ever known who's yeah. worked in a professional kitchen is crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there was a story he tells about, I don't know whether, I think it was at the Wordsworth Hotel in Grasmere, and mm. the owner had a, um, had like a, uh, what do you call those? Like a greyhound, right? Oh, yeah. A big, long-legged dog, which um, which died, right? Died of old age. And the owner, Chuck, was a bit of a loon and charged Danny and his mates to bury this greyhound in the grounds of the Wordsworth Rocks. So they started digging a hole for the dog and realised that they were going to be there all afternoon because, right. the, the, you know, the, the dog was about four foot from, from toe to, to shoulder, right. right? So what they did was they... And the thing had rigor mortis. So they sort of put it into the hole that they'd dug upside down <laughs> and thought, we can't bloody carry on with it. So they, they sawed off its legs no. and, la- <laughs> and laid its legs upside <laughs> it and then filled in the hole. And then the owner found out about it. And I think that was, I think that was the end of Daniel's career at the, uh, the Wordsworth Hotel. So, <laughs> that is, so yeah, that they're, is all, bizarre. they're all barking mad. That actually. is bizarre. Yeah, but this is the thing. I mean, I, I worked, uh, I probably told you as, as a kid, as a teenager all the way through till I was about 23, 24, uh, in this bakery um, in Hampstead, which was a fascinating place because it was full of, um, you know, all sorts of different nationalities. There was people from Hungary because it was a Hungarian yeah. patisserie. There were people from Germany, Austria. Um, one time we got a sort of, dif- uh, I think it was some, some kind of, I don't know if it was an Olympics or some kind of uh, rowing competition or something, and the entire Romanian uh, rowing team defected to, to the UK, <laughs> and they all ended up working in this bakery. <laughs> it was great. You know, it was like the United Nations, and you had, I had this kind of introduction to the world via various people from all sorts of different parts of the, uh, of the globe, and it was fantastic, but they were all, they were all nuts. You know, yeah. people would like throw things at each other. They would play tricks yeah. on each other. You know, you'd yeah. have sort of you know things exploding in the oven. I mean, it was just mad. There was, yeah. an old, there was an old guy who used to do nothing but drink all day, Carlsberg Special Brew, and wash the dishes right. And by about four o'clock in the afternoon, his head was literally in the sink. You know, um, because he was just sort of keeled over into, into the water. Just amazing. And, and there was another guy, Greek guy called Apostolos, uh, who I always went to. Uh, two for sort of you know philosophy and guidance and and his main his main plank of uh, sort of wisdom was you know he said you know if you, if you have money you can do anything if you have no money you can do nothing and that, and I was like this is very true and he was a very ordinary guy but he had these great sort of sayings you know 
Yeah, Aristotle, Socrates, exactly. Apostolos. Apostolos from Athens, yeah. <laughs> so what do you make of the old uh, football being back? Have you watched it? I tried to watch Match of the Day yeah. on uh, Saturday night, <laughs> and I thought it was awful. I really well, couldn't, I, I couldn't honestly, stand it. Did you see the derby, the uh, Liverpool Liverpool? I didn't, you know, because when I heard it was nil-nil, I thought, you oh. know, and I mean, it's how typical of the Premier League to come back with that Aston Villa game, which was also yeah. nil-nil, apart from the fact that they missed a goal. And everyone well, let, me tell, let me tell you, the crowd at Goodison Park got their money's worth. <laughs> I well, mean, it was it was hopeless. I know. It was awful. Well, it just doesn't it, seem worth watching to me. If there's nobody in the no. in the ground, you just can't. Yeah. What's the point? It's like uh, it's like watching a training match or something like that. Yeah. And, and of course, they put this sort of fake crowd noise on it, which yeah. sort of it seems to make it worse because whoever's pressing the buttons, obviously, they're reacting a second or two late. Yeah. The oohs and the ohs are never quite in the right place, and mm. no, no one's shouting wanker at the referee. So you're, you know it's fake. Right. So. <laughs> Somebody told me as well that they've even got to the point where they've got fake whistle blowing at the end of the game. You know, yeah, like no, for the have. whistle for the, for the for the ref to blow that. the whistle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of bizarre. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, Goodison sounded quite you know marginally more atmospheric than, <laughs> than normal. You would say most that. Grounds, <laughs> most grounds, I think. Um, it, it, no, it's not. It's not great to watch. No, but I mean, I suppose you can make up for that by, um, hopefully, at some point soon, crowning yourselves uh, as yeah. Liverpool fans the uh, the kings of the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, it's been, you know, in in both ways, the longest wait of anything in my life. Mm. You know, thirty years to lift that trophy again, and it's you know, you when you were a Liverpool fan uh, as a kid. You just you thought that was normal, you know. You never thought you'd have a time when you weren't winning the league every other year, or you weren't winning the FA Cup, you know, every couple of years. And then you hit hard times, and you sort of go three or four years. You think it's going to come back. There's a bit of rebuilding. Well, I mean, they were rebuilding that side for 28 years, basically. Yeah. And yeah. Klopp's come along, and it just shows you, doesn't it, how uh, a bit of belief and a simple message, you know, and a, and a strong work ethic can really help put a, a team back into a place where, you know, maybe it could have been there 10 years ago. You know, well, he's yeah. been a great appointment, hasn't he? Because he came just at the right time, I think. Because it's well, not as if Liverpool haven't had, you know, um, moments of glory. You know, he won the Champions League. I still remember my right. uh, watching that yeah. in a pub, in that horseshoe pub in Glasgow, uh, where yeah. everybody turned into a conga. Um, and yeah. one blo- as they walked past, as they sort of congered past me at the bar, I noticed that one of them didn't have any clothes on. <laughs> 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 and I was like, welcome to Glasgow, you know. Yeah. But, I mean, I can promise you that even in 2005 when, you know, the most extraordinary Champions League final ever. Yes. Um, I don't, it wasn't a 100... No Liverpool fan in the world went home thinking we are now the best team in Europe because right. we didn't win the league. Right. We've got to win the league. And, you know, uh, now we've done that. We are... It's not just, you know, a, a, an argument for discussion. It's indisputably the case that Liverpool right now or the best team in Europe, probably the best team in the world. Right. And that's, that's how it used to be when I was a kid. And so, you know, I could get quite sort of sentimental about it. I heard Jerry Marsden on the radio this morning. Right. Um, and, you know, he's been belting out, you'll never walk alone for 50 years now. Right. And he, he was I didn't even know he's still alive, emotional. to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> but he's still, I mean, he's still there. He still comes out and sings it before the game now and again, you know, on big, big occasions. Right. Yeah, yeah. And... He, um, he, you know, he was very emotional about it. And I think Scousers maybe have more propensity for a bit of sentimentality mm. than 
than most people. And I, I suspect there'll be quite a, a huge wave of emotion going through the city when 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 the great day comes and we, we are crowned champions. But the, the, watching that Goodison Park event, you know, they're making a a slow go of it yeah. after the uh, after it's come back. And presumably, it's if it happens sometime, what, in the next two weeks, um, yeah. or if it happens after July the 4th, it might well be that there can be some kind of parade. Well, I yeah, mean, it's difficult I to ban a parade, nice, isn't yeah. it, when you've, when you've allowed all these marches to go ahead? It's a bit difficult yeah, to I turn mean, around to Liverpool and say you can't have an open-top bus parade. Well, that's a very good point. I hadn't even thought about that. You know, you're right. They've allowed all these protest marches. Why shouldn't they allow something yeah. positive like like a celebration? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, well all you got to do is have, have, wave a couple of placards around, and you, you, you're good. You know, and the police will tell you, yeah. you know, please don't come. Um, but if you come, they'll say, uh, please uh, don't get too near each other. Yeah. And yeah. Try I not think to that'd be a good idea. Kick Why hell not? out of one another. But what about uh, in this new woke society in which we now live? Um, yeah. Do you think there'll be any kind of payback for people like Manchester City and the whole Abu Dhabi connection and all of that? What for taking taking sort of dubious money? You know? Well, yeah, and also you know yeah. for the, the, the sort of the Middle Eastern connection. Newcastle's now got a Saudi investor. You know the whole idea yeah. that uh, you know the beautiful game somehow yeah. uh, has been sort of invaded, if you like, by some yeah. rather dubious uh, people with an awful lot of money. Solid by dodgy money. Well, yeah. I mean, look, the whole. The, the amount of money you need as a club to, to make any headway is just absurd now. Yeah. You know, it's ridiculous. Uh, and I think from a fan's point of view, where that money comes from, as long as you feel like the manager's still got control of the team and that they are not there to rape the club, yeah. like like I think a lot of Manchester United fans quite rightly felt about the Glazers, yeah. then then I don't suppose from a fan's point of view it matters. But, it, it, you know, if the other side of the coin is, you know, these... Outfits are presenting themselves as, you know, positive forces in society. They're probably putting lots, like you say, lots of dodgy money through a legitimate club and, and, and sort of gaining a positive reputation that they do not deserve. And we don't talk enough about why they don't deserve that reputation. No, because, and I mean, it's know, probably unfair to say... It, it's probably unfair to say it's dodgy money. I mean, it's not... I mean, the Abu Dhabi government is, is an entirely legitimate yeah. government, but it's not exactly yeah. democratic. And I mean, in, no, in, exactly, you know. given that given that we're all about taking the knee in the centre circle and all of that and the pureness, yeah. purity, I know, I know it's probably a rather ridiculous hope. But you'd like to yeah. think that if you're going to do all that, why not then use it as an opportunity to kind of clean everything up as well? Yeah, well, I think so. I think you know, we have got, like I said last week, I think my biggest fear is that everything just goes back to exactly how it was. And I think... The way human beings are programmed, that, that's the biggest risk, is we everything will just completely revert back to how it was, and we won't gain any of the advantages that, that we could do if we just stopped for a minute and said, you know, there was a great example today about the homelessness issue, which, you know, the government's put a lot of money into uh, sorting out, on a temporary basis, people who live rough on the streets, you know, mm. they've provided them accommodation. And today they announced they're going to extend it with another £120 million funding. Now, that's great, but you know, should we not now be saying, you know what, that, that is an issue that needs sorting out permanently. How are we going to, what are the radical ideas that are going to solve that? Mm. What are the radical ideas that are going to solve the NHS so that it's never in question that it'll be stretched to the point? Because these pandemics are going to come back time and time again. This is, you know, this is something we've got to now look at as our reality. But the one thing that I thought coped 
very well with this pandemic was the NHS. I mean, you know, for all the talk of it being, uh, you know, run down by the Tories for 10 years and starved of funds, which is all rubbish, as we know, you know, it actually worked incredibly well. Yeah, well, but but there is another sort of slightly untold story, which is, you know, business as normal has stopped pretty much with the NHS. You know, a lot of operations got sidelined. Lots of people haven't gone in reported. Yes, but, that was, but those were decisions taken by Public Health England. It wasn't necessary. Yeah. yeah, well, OK. I mean, but whatever. There needs to be a playbook for dealing with this in the future. And now that we've all stopped clapping on a Thursday night, maybe we should start thinking about what's the right reward for the people that, you know, save our lives when we're in trouble. Like this. Are you, you one know, of these people not... that thinks nurses should get 100 grand a year? No, I do not. <laughs> I wish everyone could just have a hundred grand a year. I know. Well, that's, that's unfortunately but, socialism doesn't work that way, does it? No, but I mean, I, I definitely think that there's a case for looking at the hours and the jobs they do and the importance of them in society. And like like any vocation where people want to do something, people get abused. You know, they get uh, they get the piss taken out of them mm. because because you know then they love the job they're doing and they're very proud to do the job but that shouldn't be an excuse not to pay them a decent salary yeah, but, i mean know? there's probably also people in the nhs like hospital porters who hate the job that they do but that's the only job they can get yeah. so they do it because yeah. that's the, you know the, the the way that they yeah. live and i mean well, I, i'm well, afraid well. i mean as much as it's a very noble cause um, you know, lots of people do lots of very important jobs. You know, it's like when we were talking yeah. about the police, you know, the, the irony of the uh, of the defund the police crowd um, yeah. as, a, as a police officer stopped that horrible, uh, ghastly guy from murdering more people in Reading yeah. because yeah. he was an unarmed police officer who bravely went and rugby tackled the guy without yeah. any fear or favour of his own life. And, you know, yeah. um, he should probably be paid a lot more as well, but the fact is he's not. Yeah. What are you going to do? Well, well, I wouldn't mind paying a little bit more tax if I thought it was going to go to, to people like that mm. and that we'd all be a bit safer and all a bit healthier. Yeah, but do you know result. what? If you and I, and you've run budgets in your time, right? Yeah. Um, if you and I walked into any NHS trust tomorrow, you would yeah. be able to find millions and millions and millions of pounds that they waste on rubbish, yeah. right? That you could wouldn't, then wouldn't redistribute, redistribute yeah. it to the people that work there. Because, you know, they, I mean, yeah. I know people that work in the NHS and every yeah. single one of them says it is a shambles. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, mate, I, I, when I said, you know, reappraise, restructuring is just as important as everybody getting yeah. a fair salary. And I think you're absolutely right. People, you know, people live under the, the illusion that the NHS is the greatest, most effective health service yeah. on the planet. And it is nowhere near so. No, so, you so. know, again, another time, another thing we could take a step back and have a good look at and have the humility to look around the rest of the world to see how it works in other places. And, um, and, you know, and rebuild, rebuild, take an opportunity to reshape Britain to make it a better, yeah. fairer, happier place. Definitely. You know? I definitely think that we have exposed some really serious problems, though, with some of the public bodies of this country. And I don't mean the NHS, I mean, yeah. like Public Health England, um, yeah. some of the civil service departments, which clearly don't work very well. Um, yeah. And this, we've, we've, we've sort of got stuck with this kind of level of bureaucracy and red tape, which is yeah. unfathomable. If you're in yeah. commercial uh, operations outside in the private sector, it just wouldn't well, happen. I mean, I mean, none of it would, would, would exist for ten minutes in the uh, in the private sector, right. would it? It's uh, you know, but, but also I think in the private sector, some of the people that are running these departments, the ministers, they wouldn't survive either. You know, which of those ministers would you look at and say, 
you know, they'll be a great chief executive of a mm. big major blue chip company. I can't see it, to be honest. You know? Well, I mean, you know, I've been having these weekly conversations with Peter Hitchens, um, and yeah. unfortunately, I have to say that as weeks have gone on, I find myself agreeing with more and more of what he says, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Particularly that this is one of the most talentless groups of people at the top of a, a government that he's ever yeah. seen. Even worse than the John Major government. Because if you think back to other cabinets, and even back to Gordon Brown and Tony Blair's time, you know, they had significant figures, didn't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And they argued with each other and they fell out. And and that's the thing I would say, is that, you know, a a confident government is a government where people feel able to have hot disputes about important matters. And I just get the impression that everyone is sitting there nodding along to whatever Boris and Dominic told them to nod to, you know? Well, I'm beginning uh, maybe, to wonder if, if Boris actually does much of that at all, actually. Yeah, well, maybe, yeah. Uh, I was. I think the one standout guy who's made a good show of himself is the Chancellor. Yeah, Richard um, Sunak, I think, is, is, yeah. is quite an important and quite a, a sort of essential character. But when you yeah. get down to people like, you know, old um, Ashok Sharma, or whatever his name yeah. is, um, yeah. Alok Sharma. I keep calling him Ashok because yeah. I, know, I know a guy called Ashok, which is why I don't know the, the name Alok. But, I mean, you yeah. kind of go, he looks like the bloke that runs the library, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, totally. And, um, and the Grant Shapps, you know, Tory boy, who uh, was stitched up by his own prime minister, you know, when he went on, he came on the talk radio and started going on about why we shouldn't give free school meals to kids during the summer. And about two yeah. hours later, it was a U-turn, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah. they didn't even tell him they were doing it. No, it's hopeless, you know. I mean, Gavin Williamson, total lightweight, Dominic Raab, I think, just busking it a bit thick, probably. Uh, I don't know. I think I think he kind of comes across as a bit thick, but he surely can't yeah. be, can he? Well, so I mean, sometimes, you know, there's a bit of a walk like a duck, quack like a duck. You know, it, it's a duck. I mean, um, certainly um, his uh, allergy to, uh, or his uh, his allegory that the, 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 the taking the knee thing came from Game of Thrones. Oh, I mean, that yeah, was straight but, out of Compton. <laughs> yeah, but the, but the real thickness is that his pursuit of that idea, you know, that he kept going on about yeah. it on Twitter all the time, said, oh, yes, yes, you know, it's all, I mean, absolute nonsense, but yeah. there you go. Did you see, by the way, one one thing that um, the, um, what do they call it, NASCAR in the States? Oh, yes. The, the, and and the, dri- the black driver who had successfully lobbied for, uh, what's his name, Bubba, somebody, Bubba Watson, right? And he had successfully lobbied for the Confederate flag to yeah. be banned from NASCAR, yeah. which is quite a big deal because obviously there's a lot of sort of... Well, I mean, you know, if you, if you go, as I'm sure you have been, to any southern state, I mean, the Confederate yeah. flag's everywhere. Yeah, so anyway, he got it banned. Right. And then the next day or the week after, in the garage at the, at the racetrack, they found what they said was a noose right, yeah. hanging down. Yeah. And every NASCAR uh, driver came out in support of Bubba Watson yeah. and they all pushed his car to the front of the line. It was a hugely symbolic thing. Yeah. And then today the FBI revealed that it wasn't a noose at all. It was probably just the handle to pull the garage door down and it had been up there for nine months. Oh, really? And so, so Because that I was a big it, story, yeah. wasn't it? So it was total, total bollocks, yeah. you know? And I, I just think there's a danger that we start looking for things where things don't exist yeah. there's enough problems there are enough problems that are right in front of our faces that need sorting out without being sorted, yeah but there is this you know, total overreaction to everything now isn't there it's yeah. like the white lives matter thing you know probably uh, yeah. not the wisest thing to have done um but yeah. the fact that the police had to come out and say we've investigated it and no crime was committed well bully yeah. well bully me i mean really what you mean yeah. it's not actually a crime to say white lives matter well i'm pleased well, about course, that I mean, it's, I mean we've got to a stage now. Well, of course not. And 
somebody on Twitter the other day who works at Oxford University made some fairly innocuous remark about um, about um, uh, somebody. What was it? He said, uh, "Oh, you reap what you sow." On that Ash Sarker thing, do you mm-hmm. see that? Oh, the three she, oranges. She, yeah, that's right. And she was accused of some wild conspiracy that she was celebrating the nutcase in Reading. Right, but. And then this Owen Jones, my great mate, then tweets immediately, Oxford University, I want to have a note by the end of today confirming you have sacked this guy. It's it's unbelievable. Owen Jones, who says, join a union, everybody, in the next set tweet, is saying, just sack this guy without any due process because he's pissed me off on Twitter. I know. It is remarkable. Intolerance. Yeah, it, it really is. And it's got just, to stop. It really has got to stop. I'm hopeful that it will stop, yeah. that people will yeah. just kind of get a bit bored. I mean, it already feels to me as though the whole marching season thing is probably um, much more in the past than it is in the future. Yeah. Um, because after a while, these numbers will just go down and people will go, well, what, what are we marching for now? You know, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and, and yeah. hopefully the sensible people of the world will realise that you can't literally go around just getting rid yeah. of everything you don't like. Yeah, and I think the great sort of common sense of people, not just the British people, but people in general, will prevail. And people, the extremists, will have to get madder and madder, and they'll expose themselves as as, as irrational. Right. You know? But I think if the common man is saying, I've, I've had a change of mind. I, I was this idea of you know the Black Lives Matter hashtag and and all these white people taking a knee and all of that. A month ago, if you'd have asked me, I'd have said, well, you know, it, it's just a pointless symbol. But yeah. I do think that most people think that now is a time we've got to address racism. And and so that's fine. You know, that is good. Then we should all decent people, I think, should support what that, that cause is all about. Yes. Um, and know, certainly that is, that is happening. Not, I, I mean, know. I, I, yeah. I know for a fact that some media companies are now spending a lot of money to try yeah. and address the problem. And one of yes. them is the is the is the company that owns Sky. Um, they're yes. going to spend hundreds of millions of pounds to kind of write yes. what they think is a bad situation where they haven't got enough people uh, from Good. ethnic minorities working in in high positions. Because there's no doubt that if you yes. look at any massive like FT uh, uh, top 100 company, there's not yes. very many black CEOs. There's not very many no. members of the board who are black. Um, yes. Now there may be all sorts of reasons for that. That my worry is is that they artificially change things which is what they shouldn't do yeah where they just give somebody a job and say right you should now be the chairman because you happen to be black no but i think we've got to look for why aren't those people coming through and make sure that they've got all the opportunities that everybody else has got and also commercially it's it's a good it's a good thing to do to have a full range of your customers on your workforce yeah you know because if you don't, then you don't know what your customers want. You know, you get further and further away from it. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the breakthroughs that has happened in newspapers is the rise of women through the ranks to yeah. higher higher positions. And when you think that, you know, 50% at least of a newspaper's audiences are women, yeah. and you've got a bunch of hairy-ass men making decisions about what they like, yes. then that's not good journalism, you know. No, so, exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. Because if you look at some of the old pictures of even the 80s, there's oh. not very many women in the newsroom. Oh, my God. When you think about some of the fashion spreads that people used to churn out, you know, women dressed in, you know, elegant Laura Ashley outfits and all of this business. This is what the British Middle England woman yeah. wants to wear. Well, when, you know? I was at, when I was at university um, and I was trying to get into newspapers, I had a call. I got a call once from a guy that I knew who was the sort of West Country correspondent for The Express. 
um, mm. and he wanted to do some kind of a story around something to do with with women in education or something. He was like, "Can you find me a dolly bird?" Oh, and I was God. like, uh, "Oh, probably." Yeah. So I had to go and find yeah. this, a woman who was relatively attractive who would pose for the picture, you know, yeah. which inevitably was a picture story, uh, but it was meant yeah. to be about education, yeah. and that was no, like in the beginning of the eighties, you know. And I'll tell you what, Madness. of course, because it's, it's relevant now. I mean, as, as recently as five years ago, I think, maybe even more recent than that, a day like today with baking hot weather and people out on beaches yeah. and all of that, every single newspaper would have had a picture of two 17 or 18-year-olds with yeah. a small bikini right. and some headline saying, oh, my God, it's hotter than Benidorm or Fewer whatever like sculpture. that. Yeah, but yeah. well, I mean, it would have been posed up by a photographer who'd been sent out to say, get something sexy from, yeah. the, from Brighton Beach. Now, we don't do that anymore, so that, I think that's good, you yeah. know, it's a positive thing. Absolutely right, and what a very positive way. Fat old, fat old middle-aged men with a pint of Carlsberg <laughs> in their hands. Yeah. Saying, oh, is it marvellous? Trouble is, yeah. now you get fat old middle-aged men pictured on Bournemouth Beach, which is not quite so good, <laughs> but that's another story. Anyway, listen, <laughs> uh, on such a positive note, we must end. Uh, yeah, thank you very much brilliant. indeed. I'll talk to you next week. Take care, Mike. See Cheers, you, mate. Bye-bye. There was another guy, Greek guy called Apostolos, uh, who I always went to, uh, to for sort of, you know, philosophy and guidance. And, and his mm-hmm. main... His main plank of uh, sort of wisdom was, you know, he said, you know, if you, if you have money, you can do anything. If you have no money, you can do nothing. And, that, and I was like, this is very true. And he was a very ordinary guy, but he had these great sort of sayings, you know. Yeah, Aristotle, Socrates, exactly. Apostolos. Apostolos from Athens, yeah. <laughs> be able to find millions and millions and millions of pounds that they waste on rubbish yeah. right that you could then redistribute redistribute yeah. it to the people that work there because you know they i mean i know people that work in the nhs and every single one of them says it is a shambles yeah you know? i mean mate I, I, when i said you know reappraise restructuring is just as important as everybody getting yeah. a fair salary and i think you're absolutely right people you know, people live under the, the illusion that the NHS is the greatest, most effective health service yeah. on the planet, and it is nowhere near so. No, so, you know, so. again, another time, another thing to take a step back and have a good look at and have the humility to look around the rest of the world to see how it works in other places and, um, and you know, and rebuild, rebuild, take an opportunity to reshape Britain to make it a better, yeah. fairer, happier place. Definitely. Sometimes, you know, there's a bit of a walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, you know, it's a duck.